You may be seated. Let me invite you to turn with me again in your copy of God's Word to our New Testament reading this morning. It can be found on page 827 of the Pew Bibles in the rack in front of you. We are in Matthew uh, chapter 22, verses 1 uh, to 14 this morning. Matthew 22 tells another parable called the parable uh, of the wedding feast. This is the third of three parables we're taking uh, in a row Uh, In Matthew's gospel, Uh, we are in the final quarter of the gospel. We're in the final days of the life of Jesus. Uh, You'll remember we've said a couple times, uh, we believe this conversation and chapters following happens on the Tuesday of the final week of the life of Jesus. It all takes place uh, there on the the grounds of the temple where Jesus is talking to, debating with, arguing, it kind of depends what side you're on, how you describe it, uh, the leaders, the, uh, the religious leaders uh, and the Pharisees. The topic we saw a couple weeks ago is the topic of authority. And now for the third time in a row, we have a, a parable, not exactly uh, about authority, but given by and with and through the authority of Jesus as the Son of God in which he points directly into the chest of his hearers. And he calls them to leave their wayward paths and to repent. This morning we see that call happen uh, through the parable of the wedding feast, which he calls every one of us to come and feast. So would you follow along with me in God's word? Matthew 22, verses 1 to 15. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. Would you join me in prayer? 
Our Lord, what a message and a word and an invitation you have for us this morning. And what a warning to see how those who know you, how those who profess your name, how those who stand as leaders in your very temple would harden their hearts and reject the clear and gracious call of Jesus. Lord, I pray in these next few moments that your Holy Spirit would soften every heart in this room, that you would break us of our pride, that you would crush our arrogance, that you would overcome our stubbornness, and that every one of us would hear the call and we would come to your wedding feast. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. There's no challenge for a newly engaged couple quite like planning out the invite list for their upcoming wedding. That is fraught with hard decisions, with potential offenses, with unexpected cost. If people you don't really want to come but you invite anyway end up coming, right? We have, many of us, gone through that. And you have sat and looked at the list of names and you've had to make hard decisions. Who's going to be invited and who's not? Who's going to be left off and who's going to come? Because if we invite this third cousin once removed, we've got to invite all the other third cousins, right? And if we invite, invite these friends from this season of life, we have to invite all the other friends. And uh, you end up making a big list and then probably slowly cutting it down and leaving people off the list. The reality is we all have limited resources, right? We can't rent big enough churches to host everyone we want to come. We don't have bottomless pockets to have dinner for everyone we want to come. Maybe we don't have enough relationships to fill a big room, right? We're limited. We have limitations. And so we send out exclusive invites to our weddings. Jesus tells us here, in the parable of the wedding feast, that unlike us, God is not limited. God does not have limited resources. God does not have uh, limited space to host his wedding feast. God does not have limited finances to pay for enough dinner for everyone. God does not have limited relationships. He can't only be friends with 100 people and everybody else is out of luck, right? God is unlimited in all of these areas. And so we see that his invitation is also unlimited. What we see in our passage this morning is that God invites all of us. God invites all of us. So come to his wedding feast. That's the only word I want you to hear this morning. It's there at the end of verse 4. Come to the wedding feast. It's the title of the sermon. It's the point of the sermon. That every single one of you would hear that you are invited that you come by the blood of Christ to the everlasting feast of the Lamb. Come to the wedding feast. The key to understanding our text is found at the end. He goes through the parable, then he gives some explaining, and it's really this famous final verse, verse 14. Uh, this is sort of the end of the parable, and we think Jesus has now reverted. He's no longer speaking of the, the, the king throwing the wedding feast. He's now removed himself from it, and he is telling them the theological lesson. The theological lesson is short and sweet. For many are called, 
but few are chosen. It's easy to read. There's a lot of theology packed in to that one little sentence. We're going to get our theology out of the way at the beginning, and we're going to start looking at the wedding. So stay with me for a moment. Put on your theological glasses. Let's talk theology real quick in verse 14. There's two categories here. Many are called. A great group, a great group of people are called. And yet amongst that group of many, few of them are chosen. Few of them respond to the call. We understand what's going on here is from the parable, God sends out the message of the gospel through his son Jesus and now through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it goes out to people and places and tribes and tongues and nations through the very ends of the earth. Many, many, many are called. But only few of those who are called are chosen actually respond to the call. We've talked in previous sermons about having ears that hear. Everyone hears, every one of you here hears the words coming out of my mouth, but do you really hear the call of God to turn from sin and to follow Christ? Many are called, few are chosen. This is the tension between the divine sovereignty of God and the responsibility of humans to hear the call and respond to it. And yet, if that's not hard enough to understand, we see in Jesus' words that our response to it is because God chooses. And he gives the gift of faith. He gives softened hearts to hear and receive the message of the gospel and come into the wedding feast. What does that invitation look like? I want to structure our time together this morning based on that final verse. So it's a two-point sermon. The first point, many are called. Verses 1 to 10. The second point, few are chosen. Verses 11 to 13. Many are called, 1 to 10. Few are chosen, 11 to 13. Let's look at the parable itself. It's pretty straightforward. Under many are called, the king gives a wedding feast for his son. And like us, when we're planning our weddings, who does he invite? Well, he has a guest list to invite uh, to this wedding. Now, this is not just any old ordinary wedding. I no offense. This is no wedding that you're going to throw for your sons one day. Unless I'm unaware, none of you are kings in the room, right? A king throwing a, a, a wedding feast for his son is a pretty big deal. You can imagine the type of people who get invites to the wedding feast for the son of the king. We read in verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is compared to the wedding feast. Where the king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, but they would not come. There's two rounds of invites for the same people here. Verse 3 describes the first round of invitations. Now, what happens back then is they would, the, the hosts of the wedding would announce when the wedding's going to happen to the certain people who are going to come. They'd be sort of uh, notified ahead of time. And then day of the wedding, once everything's ready, right, the food's prepared, it's laid out, it's time to feast, then the servants or the messengers of the hosts of the wedding would go out into town and tell everybody, now it's time to come, right? Today, obviously, we just send a group text, right? Dinner's ready, right? This is a little different back then. The ones who have been invited ahead of time, it's on their calendar, they know about it, they've heard about it, and then the messengers come and say, all right, y'all, food's ready, come to the wedding. Verse 3 ends on an ominous note. But they would not come. We don't know why yet. We don't know why somebody would turn down the invitation of the king 
to come to the wedding of his son. That's a pretty big invitation to turn down. We don't know why yet. But if you're the king, that's a slap in the face. That's a pretty big insult. The people who RSVP'd yes, day of, they're not going to come. The king shows the mercy and the grace and the patience of God by going out and issuing the invitation a second time. We saw this last week in the parable of the, the master of the vineyard where he sends his servants again. He sends his messengers again to a rebellious, hard-hearted, rejecting people. And just like then, he sent his son. He sort of ups the ante by sending a more powerful messenger. So to here, look at this second round of invites in verses 4 to 7. The invitation again, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. He sends out the invitation plus the menu, right? Parents, what's one of the worst questions you can get from your kids? Afternoon's dragging on. You've been working on dinner and one of the kids comes in. What do they say? What's for dinner? And you think this is a, uh, this is a fraught question right now, right? Because <laughs> you know what they don't want you to say. Right, they know, you know all the things that you will say, and you'll get the, oh, I hate that food, right? <laughs> Not again. All right, in my house, you know what it is. It's green beans, right? No green beans, right? But do you love it those days when you're like, we're having pizza, kids? And they're psyched, right? Or mom and dad are going on a date, you're getting chicken nuggets and fries, right? I mean, that is, you can't wait to announce those days. This is the feast with the best meal they're going to eat all year. Right? And this is the messengers going out. He's not like, come to the feast. I know we're having green beans, but it'll still be good. Right? No. Look at the menu. I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves, my cows prepared for this very meal. The meal of the year. Possibly the son of the king. These don't happen very often. The meal of the decade, right? Come to the feast. He's, ha- He's compelling the people who have already showed their hardness of heart to come. You see the grace and mercy of God? That rejecting people, I don't want that meal. Fat cast probably a little too rich anyway, right? No, he, he sends forth to the hardest hearted of people. And he says, with no restrictions, the end of verse four, come to the wedding feast. Come, the meal is ready. The fattened calf has been slaughtered. It's all prepared. You've already turned me down and showed you're unworthy, but still come. And so it is even more ominous in verses 5 and 6 that we read they reject this invitation again. There's two ways that we read of those invited rejecting it again. Verse 5 Some of them paid no attention. They went off, one to his farm, other to his business. The end of verse 5. They missed the wedding of the decade for work. For work. (laughs) Let's think about that for a second. I know as a dad, sometimes I am guilty of missing things because I think my work's too important. And so I know other people are guilty of that as well. I got to go... Check on a field. I got to answer this email. It's super important. I have to take this phone call right now. 
We're talking here about the wedding feast that comes along once a generation, once a decade. The guy's got to make sure there's no extra weeds growing in his field, right? You know the metaphor. The metaphor is for the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus warning us about? He's warning us about worldly concerns that would distract us from the kingdom of heaven. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like this feast. And you, dear friend, are possibly like the people that are too important, that are too busy, that are too distracted by worldly concerns that you hear the invitation and you ignore it because you have got a phone call to make. Because there's something in your life that is pressing upon you that you have said is more important than even the kingdom of God. Who's he talking to? He's talking to religious leaders, religious people, people with all the language, right? People with all the words, people with all the experience, people that can answer every theological question. It's them who he is aiming to convict who think they have to worry about other things. As bad as that is, that's actually better than the second form of rejection here in verse 6. Because what, what do the rest of them do? They seize the servants, they treat them shamefully, and they kill them. Again, just like last week, this doesn't really make sense in the parable itself, right? I mean, was somebody actually going to kill the messenger of the king, inviting them to come to a wedding? I don't think so. But it's illustrating for us the people of God were guilty of rejecting God by putting to death his own servants. And as stupid as it would be to kill the messenger of the king's feast, it's even stupider. <laughs> it is more foolish. It is more hard-hearted to turn from God and reject the messengers of God. If you think this doesn't make any sense, look at your own life. Does your turning away from God, does that make any sense? Because it's just as foolish as we see in this text. The king responds like the master of the vineyard responded, uh, lots of mercy, but now the time for mercy is over. Verse 7, the king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Uh, some people get hung up on this. Well, isn't he the king, so is he burning his own city? It's just a parable, right? <laughs> some people think, well, the city, that must be Jerusalem. This is a prophecy about Jerusalem. I don't, Jerusalem will be sacked in the coming decades, but I don't think, I think it's just a parable. It's a parable that's not get distracted here of judgment. It's a parable of those who reject the message, those who turn down the invitation to the wedding feast of the Lamb don't just go off on their own to live decent lives away from the wedding feasts, right? No, they open themselves up to judgment. They open them themselves to the righteous and holy judgment of the very God who they have rejected, not once but twice, after they have seen his mercy and his kindness. The focus is on Israel in the text, in the moment, rejecting Christ, not just her leaders, all of the covenant people of God who are guilty of hardening their hearts against the messenger of the feast. I wonder if that's true for any of us this morning. Has the message come to us again and again and again? And maybe we're too busy or maybe we just hate the king and we hate the feast and we'll have nothing to do with it. 
Jesus has told us, though, many are called. It's not just those here. It's not just those who are invited first. Because the king responds by expanding the invitation. Many are called. Now we find a second group in verses 8 to 10 of those who are invited. The first group are invited twice, right? Second group really only has to be invited once. What do we read of the the second group? Pick up in verse 8. He said to his servants, those who are left at least, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. For going and and placing this historically uh, in in this moment uh, in all of redemptive history, this, like last week, shows us the transition from the the prophets and the messengers of God primarily going to ethnic and national Israel to now expanding the call of the gospel to the very ends of the earth. This is a huge uh, redemptive historical moment, uh, the the message, the death, uh, and resurrection of Jesus where the gospel goes first to the Jew, and then, as Paul tells us in Romans, then to the Gentile. This is the parable of that moving forth, that spreading out. The second group are are characterized as those who are on the main roads, kind of those who are on the street corners. You don't have to be uh, an expert in the Greek language to piece together. He's sort of talking about the lower class people, right? Who does the king invite first? And then when they don't come, who does he invite next? He goes out and he gets all kinds of people. Jesus tells us both good and bad people. We might call these, I'm trying to think of a politically appropriate term, right? The riffraff, right? We might call these the the rabble. You go back in in history, uh, maybe you know the story of uh, Andrew Jackson when he became president. And at his inaugural, uh, uh, after he was inaugurated, they had this big party. And they opened up the White House. And they invited everybody to come. Not just the important, right, senators and congressmen and all that. They invited everybody. And the house was taken over. Right? People were, were breaking windows, rolling out these big wheels of cheese, right? dipping in these barrels of beer. Like It's this huge party in the White House. Uh, people kind of hated him for it uh, for a while afterwards, but uh, the, the rabble loved him. Right? This is sort of the rabble invited to come to the feast. And you'll note the end of that first section, the end of verse 10. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The call of the gospel goes out far and wide. It's not just to the people of the proper birth. It's not just people with the the right religious credentials. It's not just those standing and ready in the temple. It goes to everyone. The prophet Isaiah says, Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. The feast is spread. God's call goes out. The first group, the first group again, the second group, many are called. Before we move on to see the few that are chosen, I want you just to note This isn't the main idea, but this is a side note in the parable. How the call goes out. The call to the many goes out through the servants. Jesus is teaching in the temple to the leaders of God's people who are supposed to be the messengers. They have rejected God. In the audience of this teaching are the apostles. 
The apostles who, after the resurrection of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will be the messengers to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the very ends of the earth. What will happen to them? They will not be received well. Like those who invite the world to come to the king's feast, they too will be rejected. They too will be put to death. And yet they are sent just as we who trust in Christ and filled by his spirit are sent to invite the world to our king's feast. We don't set the guest list. We don't make people come. We don't know who's called but not chosen. What's the job of the servant? Come on. Come to the feast. If you are in Christ, what's your job? You go to the street corners. You go to the the main roads. You go next door. And you say, come. Come to the wedding feast. And guess what's going to happen? You're probably going to be rejected. Because only few are chosen. You're probably going to be ignored. But until Jesus returns, he will be sending out year after year, generation after generation, wave after wave of humble and needy men and women like us telling our neighbors, come on, come to this feast. Look at the menu. Look what's here. Come to our king's feast. Many are called. Few are chosen. In these next verses, verses 11 to 13, Jesus shows us some of those who aren't chosen. Once you see that second point, that final point, that few are chosen. There are really in this parable two categories of people who are, quote unquote, called but not chosen. All right. The first category are the guests who heard the invitation and turned it down. Too busy. I don't even want to hear from you. Right. Kill the messenger. That's the first group, the, the full rejection of the messengers. But there's a second group. Honestly, for us, sort of a, a more haunting group, a second category of those who are called but not chosen. That's shown us here in those who partially receive Jesus. Who sort of kind of look to him. We see this in the man without a garment. Look at verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, I mean, here's the riffraff, right? I mean, what a crowd is gathered here. All sorts of people from all sorts of places. You're wondering, I wonder if the servants are thinking, man, is the king going to like this crowd? I mean, I know he told us to go get him, but this is going to be rough when the king shows up. No. He sees the good and bad. He sees the crowd. He sees the rich and poor. He wants them all there except this one man. The king came to look at the guest. He saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? What's a wedding garment? You might think of a wedding dress or a tux, right? Uh, I think this is simply wearing the right clothes to a wedding. And there's a lot of things in society that don't really have a dress code for anymore, right? <laughs> Wedding's sort of one of those last things. Funerals and weddings, we sort of know how to dress for those things, right? There's a certain attire that's appropriate uh, for a wedding. Even so, back then, right, your best clothes, your best, uh, whatever it was, uh, you would wear, you would be clean, you would be formally dressed, right? You would be attending the wedding of the king. Some commentators think what's going on is that in the, in the day, the, the host would give out garments to everyone who came in the door. 
Uh, I've heard that before. I, uh, I've read other things that say that's probably not true. Like in the moments, in, in that culture of the day, that's, that didn't actually happen as much as people think. Either way, sort of whatever, whatever way you look at it, what's going on here is the man shows up underdressed. But the concern, of course, is not his clothes. The concern is the state of his heart, state of his soul. The man shows up unprepared, we might say. What's going on here is that the, the host invites everyone, but there are terms to show up at the wedding. And the one term he gives, the one rule he has to enter, it's not if you're rich or poor, it's not if you're invited first or later. It's not if you're staying in a big house and got the invitation versus the rabble of the street. It's none of that. There is one rule for those who come into the wedding, and that is wear the wedding clothes. Enter by the terms of the host. The host sets the terms. And this man looked those terms in the face and rejected them. He wanted nothing to do with them. He wanted to sneak into the wedding on his own terms. He wanted to come into the kingdom of God on his own terms. Have you been there before? I have been there before. I'll set the terms for how I'm here. The king showing incredible kindness. I mean, he sees the guy who's underdressed and he says, friend, how'd you get in here? Maybe there was a mistake, right? Maybe you didn't notice. The, the man is speechless. And the king says, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. I mean, again, this seems harsh in the world of the parable, probably just saying, look, man, you can't come back, Right. I'm going to tie you up so you can't force your way back into the wedding. You're not supposed to be here. But then we read the second part of the, uh, of the action. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what that means. Jesus has already used that phrase. That phrase refers to hell. He is moving almost instantly from the world of the parable to the world of the spiritual realities. This is what we would call the day of the Lord and the judgment that comes from a righteous God against those who reject him, against those who know what it is to get in, who know the garment that they need, who know they need to be dressed right and yet insist on coming on their own terms. This is eschatological, the big word, in times judgment. And they know it. They all know it. This isn't catching any of them by surprise. They know the great promise of Isaiah 26, you, 25. You know it. Hear it again. Isaiah writes, God says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. What does that mean? He will swallow up death forever. Ever since the prophets of old, God's people have been waiting for this feast. It's on their calendar. <laughs> They've gotten the invitation. They know it's coming. And then when Jesus comes and he sends his messengers out, says, y'all, it's time, it's the day, come to the wedding. They want nothing to do with them. They have been waiting for generations for the feast. And when it comes, they reject him. 
And so what does God do? He opens up the doors of the feast to all people. He flings wide the gates and he sends his invitation to the very ends of the earth that all may come in. And how do we come in? Here's where the garment comes back into play. The Bible tells us the garment is the righteousness of Christ. The pure, undefiled, clean attire to wear to a wedding is the righteousness of Christ. That we, dear friends, as brothers and sisters, in this metaphor, our garments are stained by our own sin. They are stained by years and years of sin. They are stained by this morning's sin. And you can't get it out. You may have tried. You may have said, I know I'm unrighteous. I will do better. I will scrub this, clean myself. And you have tried only to discover it just gets dirtier, right? The Bible tells us our good works, our righteousness are like filthy rags. But Jesus, living a perfect life, born not in sin, never once sinning unto his very death upon the cross, completed and fulfilled all righteousness so that he can give every single one of us that white garment to wear into the wedding. And all we have to do is trust him. All we do is believe. All we do is receive it. We don't have to fix any more of our own garment. It's ruined, y'all. Our garment is ruined. But Jesus gives us his. The warning that Christ has for us is do not come to his wedding on your own terms. You come on his terms, and he has given you everything you need. Dear friends, God invites you to come to the wedding feast. I wonder if you are apathetic. To the, are you bored by this call? I mean, you've heard it all the time. You know the wedding's coming, whatever. It's, it's just a bunch of noise. I've heard my, my whole life. I'll hear it again tomorrow. I'll hear it again next Sunday. What, what, what's the difference? Right? Are you lazy, apathetic, bored by the call of Jesus? Hear it afresh this morning. And this is one of the clearest places you will see in all scripture. Come to the wedding feast. See the love that your father has for you, spreading the feast, giving you the garments to receive it and come in. Maybe you're not bored. Maybe you're just distracted. Maybe something is going on at work. And you're thinking, yeah, whatever, pastor's going on about spiritual stuff. I got real problems starting 8 a.m. Monday morning, right? Let me tell you, those problems will fade away. Everything in this world and this life will fade away. And you will be standing to give account before God on the verge of the rest of eternity. Is your family distracting you? Is your schoolwork keeping you away from caring for the very eternal life of your own soul? Maybe it's not, maybe you're not distracted. Maybe you hear it and uh, maybe you're just too proud. Maybe you want nothing to do with this. I can come in on my own. I don't need that wedding garment. Are you kidding? I'll be fine on my own. I'm pretty good. I'm better than most people in this room. I'll be all right. God is patient. And God is kind, and he sends invitation after invitation. And he calls, and he calls, and he calls. But let me warn you, he will not be mocked forever. He will not stand for your rejection forever. Your good works are nothing but filthy rags. Put on Christ 
And come. Come to this feast. Come to this wedding. As we read in Revelation 22, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Come. You know what it's like to be left off a guest list for a wedding, right? You thought you were going to get invited to a wedding and you go to somebody's house and you see on their fridge the wedding invitation and you think, I haven't gotten that yet, right? <laughs> and you got lost in the mail, sure. Right? Keep telling yourself that. And you think, man, it, it feels bad to get left out, right? You don't like to be left off of someone's invitation list. But let me tell you, if you have ears this morning, if you are in this room, if you hear this message, you are invited by the king of the world. You are invited by the God of the universe that his feast is spread. You, are, you have not been ignored. You have not been overlooked. All are invited, good, bad, male, female, rich, poor, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, all may come. The feast is prepared. The calf is slaughtered. The rich food is laid out. The wine is aged and ready. Come and trust Christ. Put on his garment and feast with him now and forever. Let's pray. Lord, would you overcome this very morning whatever it is that keeps us from coming to you? Whether it is years of self-righteous hypocrisy in your church, open our hearts this very moment to believe. If it is growing up as a covenant child but rebelling against the faith of our parents, thinking we know better, Lord, soften and break our hearts now to repent and believe. Are we so distracted by worldly cares? Have we been thinking about those emails throughout this sermon? I pray, God, in this moment, your spirit would overcome the hardness of our hearts. You would open our hearts to believe. God, we praise you that you have laid this feast for us. Grant that we too, by faith in Christ, may come in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.